last speaker of the day is Dr. Charlie Flexner, who also is from Johns Hopkins University. And Charlie is uh, trained in a number of areas, but uh, spends most of his time thinking about drugs, but not from the point of perspective of drugs of abuse as much as drug interactions. And what we do intentionally is we prescribe multi-drug regimens, especially for comorbid conditions. And today he's going to talk about the HCV drugs and their interactions. For those of you who were at the workshop, these slides will seem familiar, but I found that hearing this talk two or three times has reinforced what I knew because it's hard to pick all up in one setting, but let's go for the chart. Since I don't understand it completely either, I think I know the answer to that question too. So, um, let's see. Someone moved the clicker to advance the slides. Someone must have, maybe Dr. Treisman put it in his pocket. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll have to tell you to advance until you get a clicker. Um, so, um, we're going to start with, a, uh, with an audience response question. So, uh, let's uh, advance, please. describes the drug interaction potential of bosepervir. Uh, bosepervir has a low potential for causing clinically significant drug-drug interactions. Bosepervir inhibits cytochrome P453A4. Bosepervir inhibits 3A4 and 2B6. Bosepervir induces cytochrome P453A4. Bosepervir induces 3A4 and 2B6. Uh, and uh, final uh, response, answers 2 and 4 are true. So let's... Uh, So here's a table that summarizes um, what uh, 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 we think uh, uh, of the effects of bosepervir versus telaprevir on two cytochrome P453A4 substrates, midazolam and atorvastatin, really pure uh, 3A4 substrates. Uh, digoxin is a substrate for the P-like protein drug transport. What you can see is that this, these are fold changes in the area of the curve. 
saprovir and calaprovir increase uh, the basal AM and its prostatins, AUC and CMAX. Um, but the effect of telaprovir is actually greater than that, the effect of the With the basal AM about a five-fold increase in the AUC with bisaprovir, the telaprovir about a nine-fold increase with the tortostatin, a two-fold increase with bisaprovir, and an eight-fold increase with the telaprovir. Um, and this uh, suggests something that has been pretty consistent in studies uh, uh, that we've come to know about over the last year or so, and that is that um, Although bosuprovir and telaprovir are both cytochrome P453A4 inhibitors, much like metonavir, um, telaprovir at the currently prescribed dose uh, is a more potent inhibitor. That is, it tends to increase concentrations of 3A4 substrates greater than bosuprovir does. In addition, it looks like telaprovir is a P-glycan protein inhibitor because it nearly doubles the uh, AUC for digoxin. And we don't have data yet on bosuprovir, so we can't comment about that rate's effect on P-glycoprotein transport. Okay, this is just the data to kind of show you what telaprovir does with the tortostatin, the candidate 3A4 substrate. And what you can see, this is a log scale, but there's a substantial increase in the atorvastatin that you see when uh, that drug is combined with telaprovir, and that's about an eight-fold increase in overall drug concentration similar to what you would see with ritonavir. Um, conversely, if you look at the major metabolite of uh, atorvastatin, this ortho-hydroxy metabolite, its formation is decreased by about eightfold. And since this metabolite was created by cytochrome P453A4, the fact that you reduce the metabolite's concentration at the same, to the same extent as you increase paradrug concentrations suggest that the increase in paradrug concentrations is reflecting probably purely inhibition of cytochrome P453A4 uh, by telaprovir. And atorvastatin's uh, uh, effect of it is simple. So let's, uh, let's turn now to a case that illustrates, uh, we've got a couple of cases to illustrate what I think are some of the more challenging aspects of using uh, HCV directly acting agents uh, in patients. And this is a transplantation, a transplant case. This is a 49-year-old woman who has a recurrent hepatitis C post-liver transplantation. You're called by the transplant surgeons to see a 49-year-old woman who had a liver transplant six months ago. She was recently found to have recurrent HCV infection. And if you transplant the liver of an HCV-infected patient and they have detectable virus in the plasma at the time of transplant, it's pretty much guaranteed that their HCV is going to recover. So one of the best reasons to try to get people suppressed prior to transplantation is to prevent this problem, which is recurrent infection of the allograft. So this is a big issue. She's currently receiving uh, tacrolimus or tacrolimus as part of her immunosuppressor project. And I was told that tacrolimus is the British pronunciation of Tacrolimus is the American surgeon's pronunciation. So you can decide which of those two camps you can decide with. Um, the hepatologists, uh, however, have called you in because they want to treat her with telaprovir, interferon, and vibrovite. So this brings us to our next audience response question. Um, which of these statements best describes the effect of telaprovir on tacrolimus pharmacokinetics? Number one, telaprovir does not alter tacrolimus PK. Number two, telap 
here decreases the tacrolimus area of the curve. Number three, telaprevir increases the tacrolimus area of the curve. And number four, tacrolimus decreases the telaprevir area of the curve. Number five, tacrolimus increases the telaprevir area of the curve. And number six, some of you might call Just that telaprevir increases the tacrolimus area of the curve, it increases it by a whopping 70 fold. That's a drug interaction, a clinical drug interaction that is greater than any other I'm aware of. Um, this is even more than what the time it was to the tacrolimus, at least what's been reported so far. So, this is a huge effect on the tacrolimus area of the curve. Um, and Bosepravir uh, also increases the tacrolimus ABC, but only by uh, 17-fold, not uh, nearly as great. If you look at cyclosporin A, the other calcineurin uh, inhibitor used in uh, transplantation, uh, similar but not uh, similar effects, but not as great in magnitude. A 4.6-fold increase with telaprevir and then a 2.7-fold increase with Bosepravir, suggesting that that might be an easier Surgeons are actually using these two drugs together, telaprevir and And what they're doing is they're giving, instead of five milligrams a day, they're giving one milligram a week of tacrolimus and doing therapeutic drug monitoring. So if you're a Betsy person like an American transplant surgeon, uh, you may want to consider that. If you're a little more conservative like me, then you may want to seek the cycles for start with a low dose and do uh, therapeutic drug monitoring. The nice thing about these combinations is therapeutic drug monitoring is available. The bad thing is both the tacrolimus and um, the cyclosporin may have the dose-related toxicities, so you don't want to get the dose too high for too long. Okay, uh, let's move into case number two. Now, this is a 43-year-old uh, Caucasian man with uh, hemophilia, factor VIII deficiency, who's had chronic hepatitis C and treated suppressed HIV infection status post transfusion. And he comes to the office expressing interest in having his HCV treated with one of these new HCV protease uh, inhibitors. Uh, he had a cholecystectomy uh, showing uh, mild chronic uh, inflammation and cirrhosis a year ago. So he is a candidate for treatment. Um, he's a married father of three, no drugs, tobacco, or alcohol. Uh, he has a body mass index of 34. He has extreme facial wasting, uh, hepatosplenomegaly, hepatocytes, or edema. And he's currently taking a boosted atazanavir, um, tenofovir, and tricytamine, a prominent factor eight as needed. And he has a distant history of astatidine and adenosine use. So this patient has come to you. He wants to start on osepravir or He seems to be qualified for it. That seems like a reasonable intervention at this point. But um, what would you do with his anti-HIV drugs? So this brings us to our next obvious response question. What change would you make to his medical regimen before starting his anti-HCV treatment? Would you increase
increases atazanivir to 400 milligrams a day, would you change this tenofovir and tricytamine to zidogamine-lamidine? Uh, would you stop his boosted atazanivir and start him on valtegravir at 400 milligrams twice a day? Would you just stop his ritonavir and add osepravir or telapravir? Would you stop all of his antiretroviral therapy for his 12 to 24 weeks of HCVPI treatment? Or would you keep his medical regimen exactly what it is right now uh, with the booster vaccine and the So let's see what people think. Okay, I have no idea what that means. I don't think it's a TV thing. Since I don't watch TV, it's not surprising. Okay. All right, interesting. Um, so um, almost all of you not what I think is a medically justifiable correct answer, because there really are two answers that one could uh, provide data to support. So um, the majority went with number three, stop the boosted atazanivir and begin an altegravir. And I'll show you in a minute why I think that is a pharmacologically rational thing to do. Uh, but 35% um, of you would keep him on his boosted atazanivir um, with so, depending upon which of those two drugs you choose, you are either in very good standing with respect to the Food and Drug Administration approved uh, package insert, or you're actually violating the FDA approved package insert. Because one of these two HCV protease inhibitors can be given with this antibody, and the other one, at least as of today, cannot, according to the FDA. So let's start with Bosepravir. Um, uh, we have uh, uh, most of the data on Bosepravir and HIVPIs being presented just a couple of months ago at the Retrovirus Conference in Seattle. And if you combine uh, Bosepravir with boosted atazanivir at the 300 milligrams, thinking about doing with this patient, um, this is what happens to atazanivir concentrations. Um, you get a small decrease in atazanivir that drug with Bosepravir, and this is just a look at the, the, the standard data on the aircraft plot within the long transformer. So you get a, a small reduction in the atazanivir AUC uh, with Bosepravir, and, and um, as a consequence, that's made the FDA sufficiently nervous to say they do not want to be using these two drugs together. If you look at Lopinavir, use of Lopinavir, same story, you get a small reduction concentrations with the separate And Dermudavir, the same thing, with a greater magnitude of the reduction of concentrations when you combine that drug with the separate Why does the separate decrease the concentration of all three listed PIs with which they're first combined? Any of you know the answer? I would like to hear it because I don't know. This is one of the mysteries about Bosepravir and Tlapavir. They are not known to be enzyme inducers, which is what would normally account for this kind of reduction in concentrations. The best explanation is that these, these drugs are probably interfering with intestinal transporters and reducing the uptake of, uh, of, the, of the PI when it's taken orally. And that's consistent with the fact that the 
rate of clearance of these drugs doesn't appear to change very much when you get them together, but the total amount of drug absorbed appears to drop. However, no one has identified the transporter that might be involved in this process, and so the mechanism of this, the molecular mechanism, remains a mystery. If you look, on the other hand, at what um, uh, the boosted PIs do to the supplement concentrations, uh, the story's a little bit different. Adazanavir has really no or almost no statistically significant effect on receptor concentrations. Uh, but Lopinavir and Dermutavir are both associated with a significant drop in um, uh, concentrations of receptor uh, about a 35% um, uh, to a uh, 45% decrease in AUC and an even greater drop in trough concentrations. So um, I think it's, it's rational to say don't give receptor if Lopinavir or Dermutavir. Now, there are people who are uh, advocating the combination of Oseprevir with boosted Adazanavir. Why? Because Adazanavir is the only boosted PI that doesn't actively affect Oseprevir concentrations. There is a small uh, decrease in uh, Adazanavir concentrations with Oseprevir, uh, but still con producing concentrations higher than you would see with uh, unboosted and there's also clinical data that Marion showed this morning that when you give these two drugs together, the clinical outcome is actually pretty good, although the numbers are small. And if you look at HIV treatment failure or HIV rebound, um, it was no more likely to happen with Adazanavir than with any of the other boosted PIs. And, and so the FDA has actually given the AIDS clinical trials group permission to study these two drugs together, boosted Adazanavir and Mosefavir. Um, and some people are doing this clinically, but if you're going to do this, uh, as 35% of you said, you would recognize that you're doing it in violation of the current package instruments. Okay, what about telaprovir? Well, telaprovir, the story is a little bit different. If you look at the effect of telaprovir on HIV PIs, um, I remember, remember with Prosepravir, with boosted adazanavir, you get a small, about a 30% decrease in the AUC. With uh, uh, telaprovir, the story is different. With telaprovir, you actually get an increase in boosted adazanavir concentrations, perhaps due to inhibition of cytochrome P450-4 by telaprovir. If you look at lopinavir, no change in uh, lopinavir concentrations for telaprovir. But with darunavir and phosphatunavir, uh, the same thing you saw with prosepravir. That is a substantial decrease in concentrations of uh, If you look alternatively at the effect of these boosted PIs on telaprovir concentrations, pretty much everybody, all of these boosted PIs, make telaprovir concentrations go down, but adazanavir is the, uh, is the least of, the, of these four in terms of its impact on uh, telaprovir concentrations. Only a 20%, 17 to 20% decrease in the area that occurred. And so the package insert for telaprovir actually allows concomitant use of boosted adazanavir but not the other uh, PIs. So here's a summary of the interactions between Mosepravir, Telaprovir, and the boosted PIs. And what you can see is that for some of these drugs, like Darunavir, the effect is the same for both drugs across the board. A decrease in concentrations of the HIV PI and a decrease in concentration of the HCV PI. 
But for other drugs, uh, there's a conflict. So, for example, with boosted atazanavir, with um, uh, bosepravir, you get a decrease in atazanavir concentrations, no change in bosepravir concentrations. With telaprovir, you get an increase in atazanavir concentrations and a decrease in telaprovir concentrations. So this kind of result is very confusing. And I have to tell you, I find it confusing too. So we need to think about these drugs in a somewhat different way than we've been thinking about, for example, ritonavir in combination with other agents. Ritonavir drug interactions seem to be more predictable than bosepravir and telaprovir drug interactions have been. And so this uh, is uh, one more uh, twist on the pharmacology of these drugs that I think makes them a little bit more difficult to use in the Okay, what about raltegravir? Uh, raltegravir is not a 3A4 substrate. It's a, a glucuronosyl transferase AGT substrate. And in fact, if you look at the impact of telaprovir on, and bosepravir on raltegravir, um, it makes us feel a little better, kind of breathe a sigh of get a small increase in raltegravir concentrations with telaprovir. Uh, this is thought to be due to a drug transporter effect, but that's not yet been proven directly. You get about a 30% increase in the raltegravir HDC, since raltegravir is not known to have a dose or concentration of other toxicity. I think that's probably a good thing. That's something that is hesitant to agree. And if you look at the flip side, raltegravir is effect on telaprovir concentrations, Same is true with bosepravir. You see essentially no uh, impact of, um, of uh, uh, bosepravir on raltegravir concentrations and conversely very little effect of raltegravir on bosepravir concentrations. So these two drugs can also be used together safely. So most of you uh, fall into one of these two classes when using antiretroviral therapy with bosepravir and telaprovir. Either switch your patient to Raltegravir for the duration of their HCDPI treatment, or a stay with a boosted atazanavir. Either of which I think is uh, pharmacologically justifiable. Let's look at some other important uh, potential drug interactions involving HCDPIs. So let's start with two commonly used antiretrovirals, tenofovir and efavirus. So first, let's look at tenofovir. Tenofovir is an exclusively renally cleared drug. And so if you want to have an impact on tenofovir concentrations, you pretty much have to be doing something to the kidneys. Well, it turns out that both bosepravir and that, that um, uh, bosepravir has a very little impact on uh, tenofovir concentrations, about a 5% increase in the area of delivery. But telopovir has a pretty significant effect on tenofovir concentrations, a 30% increase in the area of delivery. And if you look at individual subjects, on tenofovir and telaprovir simultaneously, almost everybody shows a drop in their calculated tenofovir doses. And that suggests almost certainly that telaprovir is having an impact on a renal transporter that's affecting the clearance of tenofovir. So this is completely unexpected. Before we started using telaprovir, nobody said this drug looks like it might, it might have an impact on renal drug transporters. And in fact, here's some data that suggests that it so this is the same, the telaprovir, about the same uh, magnitude of impact for tenofovir concentrations 
as you would see with just a few eyes. The only big difference here is you're only using tilapia for 12 weeks. And so if you're worried about long-term bone and needle effects, it's probably a pretty short window to be producing those in a treated patient. Um, on the other hand, if you look at the favorins with tilapia, you know, the favorins is an enzyme inducer. It can decrease the concentration of uh, particularly 3A4 substrates like tilapia. And in fact, the favorins decreases the tilapia area of the by 20% and decreases tilapia trough concentrations by about 50%. So that's not a good thing if you're going to be using to suppress HCV replication. Um, for text to the study in which they tried to counteract this interaction by increasing the dose of, of tilapia. And in fact, if you increase tilapia from two capsules three times a day to three capsules three times a day, 125 milligrams every eight hours, you mostly reverse this impact of fabrics on tilapia concentrations. A couple of caveats about doing this, however. Number one is this will pills. And number two, some third party payers will not pay for the extra tilapia. This is increasing the course of tilapia from about $50,000 retail to about $75,000 retail because there are clinical efficacy data with this combination. Uh, some third-party payers have said they won't pay for it until such data are produced. Okay, let's finish up with a drug that is used commonly in people with both HIV and HCV infection, and that's methadone, a drug we commonly worry about in methadone. Uh, so it turns out there has been a study done looking at the combination of tilapia and methadone. Um, and uh, the, the data I'm showing you here for the R minus stereoisomer of methadone, which is the clinically active opioid, is a, is a uh, an S minus uh, stereoisomer as well. And that is a pathologically uh, inactive stereoisomer. But uh, this is the active stereoisomer. Methadone. And if you get tilapavir with methadone, what happens to this active stereoisomer? Well, the concentrations actually go down. Uh, the area under the curve goes down by about 30%, and troughs also go down by about 30%. So uh, the question is, what does this mean, and is it clinically significant? Well, it turns out that methadone is a highly protein-bound drug. Tilapavir is a highly protein-bound drug. And when you break this down and you separate the protein-bound methadone, from the free unbound methadone, um, it, uh, it perhaps surprisingly, but gratifyingly, concentrations of free R minus methadone don't change. So the only thing that's changing is the amount of protein bound methadone, which is decreased by about 30%. So this is a classic protein binding displacement interaction. If you take a highly protein-bound drug like R-methadone and you push it off of its protein-binding sites with a drug like tilapavir, you actually make more drug available for its pharmacologic effect sites, but you also make more drug available for clearance. And so at steady state, because the rate of clearance of the drug isn't changing, this is the equivalent of basically taking one extra dose of methadone at steady state concentrations of the unbound drug are unchanged. And so you can use these two drugs together, tilapavir and methadone, because this is a protein binding interaction, not a metabolism or drug transport interaction. 
And in fact, in this study, which was done in patients taking uh, uh, maintenance methadone, they saw no evidence of um, withdrawal symptoms and no need to adjust the dose of methadone in any given cycles. Okay, so how do we make sense of interactions involving HCV protease inhibitors and other drugs? Well, some of these interactions are clearly mediated by inhibition of cytochrome P453 and For example, the interaction between Gosepravir and Tilapravir in the Tordostat. Some of these interactions are probably mediated by inhibition of drug transport proteins, for example, the pea-like protein drug transporter, or renal transporters like organic and transport proteins that are responsible for clearance of tenofovir, and that almost certainly explains the effect of telaprovir on tenofovir clearance. But some of these interactions just don't make sense. I don't fully understand the erudivir phosphocritivir speculate about drug transporters, but the truth is no one has actually identified the involved transporter and shown that that is the mechanism responsible for these interactions. So if you make a table of all of these interactions, uh, which Jennifer Kaiser at the University of Colorado has done, uh, she's classified the interactions that make sense based on inhibition of cytochrome P453A4 in the green here. I guess these are the GO interactions from clinical pharmacologists and the yellow are the interactions that we can probably explain based on our transport proteins. And in the red are interactions that just do not seem to make sense. So, for example, um, the, we don't know why it is that with boosted adazanavir, you see an increase in concentrations with telaprovir and, uh, and a decrease or, or slight decrease in concentrations with receptor um, with, with lopinavir, boosted lopinavir, understand why there's no change in concentrations with telaprovir, and there's a decrease in concentrations with bosepravir. And the mechanism for these interactions really remains to be worked out. So whenever I encounter a situation like this with pharmacology, I can't predict what's going to happen when you put two drugs together unless they've been studied. So it's critical with these drugs, Bosepravir and Telaprovir, that you keep current with uh, uh, current drug interaction data and that you be careful about putting drugs together with these HCV protease inhibitors that have not yet been studied. So what is the future hold? Well, one of the good things that I think is going to happen is there are new reacting agents for HCV coming along. Here are the five drugs that are in phase three clinical Four of the five of these drugs are PDA4 substrates. One, GS7977, the one nucleoside is not. This drug appears to have very low drug interaction potential. And even the drugs up here that are PDA4 substrates appear to have less drug interaction potential than bosepravir and telaprovir based on the drug interaction studies that we've done. Furthermore, these drugs, instead of being given three times a day, are going to be twice a day or once a day. So I think they're going to be a lot more convenient for their patients. And I think one of the things that we're going to see happening over the next few years with the newer HCV treatments is we're going to be bringing to the market drugs whose drug interaction potential is a lot lower than the two drugs we currently have in the 
Um, finally, uh, if you need to keep current with HCV drug interactions, which I think everyone needs to do if you want to use these drugs, here is an excellent web-based resource. This is the Hepatitis Drug Interaction website run out of the University of Liverpool. Uh, this is, I think, it's a great site because it's kept up to date and it's quite comprehensive. But in addition, please take advantage of your local pharmacy resources uh, if you're going to be using these drugs uh, because uh, your site's pharmacist may be much more comfortable with and more up to date with these interactions than you can do yourself. So uh, let me stop there, wish all of you good luck with these drugs, and thank Jennifer Kaiser at Colorado who uh, provided me with um, uh, several of the tables that I showed you today. Thanks. Let me start with a question, Charlie. You mentioned that two-way interactions are important and you can't predict what will happen until those two-way interactions are done. So many of our patients are on atorvastatin or a third or a fourth drug. Where does that leave us if we can't do real-time uh, drug genetic analysis? I'm afraid uh, if they were to lose you, is trying to simplify the patient's One of the things people are doing with statins for HCV therapy is holding until the HCV protease inhibitor is stopped. Uh, for telaprovir, holding a statin for 12 weeks for most patients is probably fine, particularly if you're using a statin for primary prophylaxis. You could also decrease the dose of the statin, uh, but then you'd have to monitor the patient carefully, and you could do that by monitoring cholesterol. But with telaprovir, by the time you've got that all sorted out, Stopping a statin for six months on the separate for many patients would be acceptable. Yeah, it's followed up. I'd be interested in what you both think. It seems to me of the five drugs we put there, and say the two plus three are C3-4A inhibitors and abusers. Doesn't that make those three drugs much less desirable unless they're tremendously more effective? It's so much more complicated than you seems like they're going to be at a huge disadvantage to use safely and effectively. You know, Henry, if the only thing we worried about with a new drug was drug interactions, that would be true. And as you're well aware, there's lots going on with a new drug than just drug interactions. There's other things like sex and profile. There's a, a, a genetic barrier to resistance. There's long-term tolerability. There's effect on uh, HCV, uh, viral isolates that are already resistant so, you know, all these things are going to have to be weighed. And I will point out that, you know, if, if you look at drugs with drug interaction potentials, low-dose ritonavir is one of, one of the most uh, drug interaction-prone agents out there. And that hasn't stopped us from using ritonavir-boosted PIs. We have somehow adjusted in the clinic to what you can and cannot do when we have a patient with a ritonavir-boosted PI. And I've gotten comfortable with that in our practice. Now, granted, Ritonavir doesn't have some of these unexpected drug interactions that most separate have, but just because a drug is a P453 and 4 inhibitor doesn't mean it's not going to be clinically useful. Well, I'd say it just has a disadvantage. Yes. Some, sometimes it actually pays off. There was a guy I saw last week who had a team drug for years and lots of depression, and he got switched from the fathers to a boosted PI. And in retrospect, he said immediately he started taking it. He didn't feel quite so good for a few days. And that was depression is much better managed because I'm sure his 
ISS on our level was through the roof, but it's working real well. Yeah. And he didn't die. And well, it, it, his temperature is 42. But no, but he feels great. And, and, and somebody told me if we start treating all of our liver transplant patients with tamoxifen, we're going to see the cost of drug yeah. therapy go down. And, uh, <laughs> so, so it makes the liver transplant a lot cheaper. Here's a question for the floor. Um, do we really have to dose these drugs every seven hours and give them a half-fat meal? Or can they be given just three times a day? How, how critical is this dose? So I'll tell you what I think. Um, given the fact that hepatitis C is a continuously replicating virus like HIV, given the fact that there's a ton of it, that there's about 10 times more HCV in an infected person on average than in an HIV-infected person, um, and given the fact that HCV is resistant to it mutates, and so it has the potential to develop resistance to any directly active agents, um, I think it's important to maintain concentrations of these drugs at a level that suppresses replication of the virus for as long as you possibly can. In the case of a drug like tilapavir, that's 12 weeks. Now, you can cure people in 12 weeks with tilapavir if you maintain the concentrations where they ought to be. And the only way I know to do that is to take the drug every seven to nine hours and with the high fat that's recommended. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but right now, that's the best thing. All right, thanks so much.